Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition to Watch If You Dare. This week, we are taking on 2017's The Ritual. But before we get into all that, I am joined, like always, by my co-host, Aaron Mansfield. Aaron, how are you doing, buddy? It sounds like you have some ASMR NPR shit going on over there. Yes, I do, because this week I have kind of a sore throat. <laughs> I'm going to be a shitty host and make you talk a lot right away. Um, have you been getting into anything horror-related lately? So, right off the bat, I want to say I goofed really hard last week by not mentioning the fact that my wife and my in-laws and I all went and saw Us, Jordan Peele's new movie. Completely forgot to mention that. I love that your in-laws went as well. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, and they actually had a good time, so I definitely enjoyed it. Our theater was very lively, and there were lots of people yelling at the screen, but it was a fantastic time. I really, really enjoyed it, and the, the movie itself was great. I really, really dug the tone of this one. Like, I think Jordan Peele had a very specific message with Get Out, and he definitely hits that target really well, but... With this one, I think there's a lot more going on that he's trying to say, so it's a lot more scattershot in terms of the approach, but from a, like, filmmaking craft standpoint, this movie is a huge step up from Get Out, in my opinion. Tonally, it's really, really interesting. I've heard a lot of people kind of compare it to The Shining as far as tone is concerned, but I think it's more just the, like, sense of dread that it builds. But the production design in that movie was great. The performances are all fantastic. I, I really, really dug it. And it's definitely one of those, like, The Witch, where seeing it in a theater, I could definitely tell that that's going to be kind of one of my go-to comfort food horror movies going forward. So I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I can't wait for us to cover Get Out, Us, and even The Witch, now that you mentioned that as well. Um, I know that both Get Out and The Witch have been on our list already, but I'm pretty sure we're going to go ahead and add us to that as well. I don't know if I'll get a chance to see it while it's still in theaters. I think it's about to exit theaters, but I do want to see it down the line. I liked a lot of the imagery that I saw of it. The few trailers I saw, it seems really generally creepy. That one poster that I always see that always creeps me out is the picture of the kid and her eyes are like wide open and she's mid scream. And there's just something really haunting about that image. So I have a lot of curiosity for that movie. Yeah. And I will say there is some strong horror iconography going on in that movie for sure. I don't know that the movie performed as well as the studios were expecting to, but it did well. And it's one of those that I think like by the end of this year, especially and going forward, you're going to see a lot of that movie showing up in other things. And you're going to see a lot of people either cosplaying as characters from that movie or just artwork and all kinds of things. I mean, that again, the iconography that he was building in that movie is very, very strong. So, other than that, I caught up on some older stuff. I got a chunk of movies in from a couple of different sales. So I grabbed the Night Stalker, which was the original TV movie that Kolchak the Night Stalker kind of spun out of. It's great. Uh, Darren McGavin, uh, most people would know him as the dad from A Christmas Story. He is this kind of schlubby newspaper reporter who 
kind of starts investigating these murders in Las Vegas. And it seems like it's just kind of run-of-the-mill serial killer stuff, except that all the bodies are drained of blood. And they all have puncture marks on their neck. So more and more, it's like, okay, this is a vampire. Really solid, really fun. It definitely feels like a TV movie back from when that was still kind of a big deal. But yeah, really, really fun time on that one. I also picked up Trilogy of Terror with Karen Black, and uh, that's one that I always remember my mom telling me about growing up because one of the segments has the Zuni fetish doll that's terrorizing her, so <laughs> I definitely remember hearing about that one a lot growing up and saw it a few years ago, and it's it's also fun. It's very, very goofy, but it's a good time. Beyond that... Yeah, I think that's probably it for now. What about you? Yeah, I've had a pretty light time in terms of horror consumption since we recorded Audition. Um, Something I do want to... I think I might wind up jumping back into the Resident Evil 2 remake yet again because Capcom just did this thing where it's a $5 DLC and if you download it, it literally unlocks everything that you can unlock in the game which uh, in this era of dlc and all that stuff on one hand it's kind of petty and shitty but on the other you can unlock all this stuff normally just by playing the game which is nice it's just that you have to play the game on like nightmare difficulty and beat it without any deaths and beat it within like three or four hours like certain scenarios so it's really difficult to do so if you just want to skip all that and just fuck around with the game you can pay five dollars and get everything unlocked all already so i kind of want to do that i'm really tempted to go back and do that and just play the entire game with infinite rocket launcher and (laughs) see how like how not scary the game is from then on it really is one of those games that i keep thinking about like even though i've pretty much beaten everything i've wanted to beaten in that game i still want to go back and play it some more just because it's so damn good and i got burnt out so much on zombies over the last decade or so and this game kind of reignited the fear of zombies which i always thought resident evil did a good job with zombie horror in general as it is but way before walking dead and all that that's been on my mind. Just kind of the couple of comic books I've been reading. Um, I think I'd mentioned it last time, but Colin Bunn is doing uh, his own take on the Blossoms from Riverdale and making them like satanic killers in this series called Blossom 666. It's, it's been fun so far. I think it's only two or three issues in, so I'm excited to see where that goes. I checked out a little bit of the uh, new Chucky movie, the remake of Child's Play. Um, I do think Mark Hamill is a good choice for being the voice of Chucky. Brad Dorif, is that his name? The guy who did Chucky originally? Yeah. He's phenomenal. Um, I know we watched him in Dune, which is like the last thing I think I've seen him in, the spacey David Lynch Dune. So it it always trips me up that he's in that and he's also the voice of Chucky. But yeah, I think Mark Hamill will do an okay job. I'm still not sure how good that movie will be or not. I'm curious to see how it does in box office because of how well it did. And then apparently the newest Halloween movie also crushed it. So seeing another kind of famous remake redo of a classic horror series, I wonder if it'll continue and just destroy in the box office. And we keep seeing horror come more and more in the mainstream, which is pretty nice. What do you think about that? I I don't know how I feel about the new Child's Play remake simply because the whole situation is kind of so shitty. So Sci-Fi Channel is doing a TV show spinoff 
of the actual main series and the main continuity with all the original people and the original, like, writer, co-creator guy, Don Mancini. I didn't know that. And the movie is strictly just the studio exercising the right to the property. So it's kind of being done out of a weird, cynical place. But, you know, if it's good, it's good. And that is what it is. But I don't know, like the second trailer that I saw was definitely just, look at all these smart toys. Look at all this connected technology. <laughs> what if it turned against us? Like, uh, whatever. The the Child's Play series is fun because it's literally a stupid kid's doll running around with a knife. So I don't know about the like Black Mirror bullshit that they're trying to put into this new one. So we'll see. Which funny story. So I, I've mentioned this a little bit before, but I've went through stages of horror in my life. When I was a little kid, I always had a fascination for it, but what like completely destroyed my fascination of horror until I was a teenager? My older sisters forced me to watch Child's Play 2 when I was like seven or eight years, like way too young to watch it. That's at least a fun one. I mean, in retrospect, yes, but at the time when I was like not even double digits age, it fucking terrified me. <laughs> I, I've always had this weird fear since then of the Child's Play franchise. I don't, I, I think I'm over it now, but even as a teenager, like when I was still going like when I got back into horror and was watching like The Ring and all those uh, and The Grudge and all American remakes of those movies and was into it I still avoided Child's Play for some reason it's just this weird childhood fear that that kind of followed me uh, around but in retrospect a lot of the series is fun I watched uh, Bride of Chucky and all that stuff and it was fucking goofy and ridiculous yeah they definitely have always been pretty campy the first one is still you know a classic and it's by far the most serious of all the movies two is fun but two is off the fucking rails kind of nuts three is not I wouldn't say that's the low point, but that's probably the one that I'm least interested in. Bride is fun. Seed is kind of the other one where I'm like, hmm, I don't know. Like Seed, I remember watching Seed and was like, this is the fucking room of horror movies. Like, it's so bad, it's yeah. good, but it's, it's, it's pretty bad. Like, I'm interested in a lot of the stuff that that movie is trying to do and say, but from an execution standpoint, it's just not great and i didn't honestly finish making it through that one but i've heard that like the the ones past that have been pretty enjoyable so i'm especially curious to see curse and cult just because of where i know some things kind of end up so i don't know that's definitely overall it's a series that i've never been super super interested or invested in just because the idea of this fucking raggedy andy doll being evil is just not interesting to me <laughs> it's the same reason why the annabelle movies are just not interesting to me as much as like d snyder from twisted sister is kind of a douchebag now i'd still just had these memories of him on one of those like i love the 80s shows that vh1 used to play and they were talking about child's play and i just remember him going like it's so fucking stupid it's a doll step on it game over <laughs> <laughs> i always think of uh, ben kissel from last podcast just being like kick the doll yeah. just kick the doll <laughs> and that's pretty much what happens in every movie it's doll gets kicked into fireplace doll gets kicked into trash compactor doll gets kicked into like melting thing just every every movie ends somewhere kind of in that realm yeah and i heard uh curse and cult which i i know next to nothing about i just know that they were released i know that they take place in the same continuity and they actually do recognize like shit that bride and seed did 
yeah. which is hilarious to me. And that's that's kind of the nuts thing about the series as a whole. If you look at all the big franchises from the 80s, you know, Friday the 13th, the continuity and the timeline in that series is fucked. The, between the first and fourth movie, there's supposed to be like a 12-year gap or something. And then it jumps ahead like another 10, 15 years to number five. Like, there's 30 years of timeline over the span of like seven years of these movies. And there's constantly just back and forth on them. And, you know, Hellraiser is also all over the place, which that one kind of makes some sense, I guess, because the puzzle box is kind of one of those recurring things. Texas Chainsaw, as we've discussed before, makes zero sense because one and two directly follow each other, even though they're totally different. But then three is kind of a soft reboot. Next Generation 4 is kind of a soft reboot. And then they definitely just completely did a reboot remake, you know, in the early 2000s. Halloween's the same way. The Halloween timeline's fucked. But give it up for Chucky a little bit. Like, the Child's Play series follows a distinct continuity all the way through. So that's where I'm kind of curious to see what's going to happen because this TV show spinoff is following that continuity. It's literally following the weird ending of the last movie. Yeah. But the movie, again, is just the studio kind of exercising their right to the property. So I'm a little cynical about it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the newest Halloween movie just I know it ignored the remake one and two of Halloween but isn't it also ignoring like some of the other goofy sequels like after Halloween 4 or something I mean Halloween 2018 literally ignores everything except the original Halloween I mean it it even ignores the second movie does it really I thought I thought it also took into account at least two nah the second movie is where they introduce all the stuff about the two of them being brother and sister and they even directly reference that in this new one where somebody says oh yeah I heard that like Michael Myers was her brother and somebody said no that was just a story somebody made up so it completely retcons everything back to the original interesting and I I get that like a lot of fans are upset about that as somebody who's not super precious about that series like it's fine I've grown up in a time where every Halloween movie that kind of came out was somehow fucking up the timeline one way or the other anyway so that series never made a lot of sense to me regardless so I'm not as precious about it as a lot of other people but I get it well I mean and like you you think about New Nightmare in the early mid 90s when that came out and that has nothing to do with the continuity of the rest of the Nightmare on Elm Street but a lot of people say that's arguably the best movie in the series next to maybe the first one yeah it's definitely one that a lot of people like for sure but it you're right it is completely meta uh, all said and done so yeah i don't know i'm curious to see what they do with this child's play and i'm fine with mark hamill doing the voice i mean he's an accomplished voice actor and i love him so i mean that's that's not a problem at all it's just kind of one of those like i think they're kind of missing the point of child's play a little bit by trying to connect it to all this modern bullshit yeah as much as i i love his rendition i hope he avoids just doing joker voice but as chucky it'd be nice to see if he uh he kind of has a different cadence or pitch for it. Yeah. But I mean, if he did Joker voice, I wouldn't be that upset because it's fucking Mark Hamill doing the Joker. But one last thing before we we dive in the ritual. Uh, have you had the courage to go see the new Hellboy movie? Because I know that's like your boy. And no. 
It's, um, I think last time I checked, it had, what, like a 15% on Rotten Tomatoes or something? Yeah, and I've been... I've not really liked anything that I've seen of it since the first kind of pictures and trailer came out for it. It looks like they're just trying way too hard just to be like dark and edgy. It, I don't know, just basic stuff like the design work. You know, Hellboy is made to look a lot scarier and demonic. And I get that that makes sense because he's a demon. But in the comics, he's kind of drawn more ape-like. Like he almost looks like the original OG Planet of the Apes kind of characters except Red. There's tons of times too where like he's fighting somebody and they even refer to him as like a red ape or a red monkey, you know? So like making him look more traditional demon kind of is weird in terms of the design there. David Harbour's performance I'm sure is fine, but he's probably given like a lot of cheesy dialogue. But there's so many other things like the Baba Yaga who's the Russian folklore witch with the wooden legs and everything. She's just creepy old lady in the comics, not this twisted monster thing like they have in the movie where she's literally like exorcist crab crawling around and making <laughs> weird monster noises and shit. Like, I don't know. It just seems very try hard and it, they are shoving so much stuff into this one movie. It's like six, seven different trade paperbacks worth of story arcs that they're shoving into one movie and they're picking such a strange place to try to reboot this series. I mean, they're essentially picking the end of Hellboy to reboot Hellboy. So, I don't know. I mean, I've been reading more recently, and I mean, even just glancing at the Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score is like 60-something percent, whereas the critics is like 14. Uh, again, I've been seeing more and more of this contrarian backlash towards critics um, with films. I saw it, this seems like it's another Venom case, but I have seen a couple of like, well, actually, this movie is trying to do this and we commend it sort of articles pop up about the new Hellboy movie just like they did with Venom so I don't know <laughs> I don't trust it but I mean on one hand like the internet bringing a very kind of democratized openness to everybody's voice is good but then there are some times where you still need people who like actually know what they're talking about to kind of objectively give criticism I don't know I'm not about gatekeeping necessarily if you can give me valid reasons why a movie is, like, not great, that's gonna kind of still be there, regardless of, like, how I feel about it. Like, there are plenty of garbage movies that I love, but I'm not gonna say that they're not garbage movies, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that is what it is. So. I will forever go up to bat for the first Brendan Fraser's The Mummy, even though I know technically that movie isn't the best. It's fucking fun, so. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned David Lynch's Dune earlier. Like, that movie's a fucking mess, but I love that movie. I love yeah, the shit out of that I movie. Did, I did too when you showed it to me. It was fantastic. I digress and I will not go into my whole conspiracy theory person of this whole contrarian like backlash towards critics and all that and how it's tied to Disney and blah blah blah. I'll save that for another podcast. You, yeah. You've heard me bitch about that quite a bit lately but honestly like the last five minutes are probably going to get cut out anyway so whatever. <laughs> So, this week, we are diving into 2017's The Ritual. So, are we going to talk about it then or not? It was a nightmare, Phil. Well, what happened to you then? We got spooked and we had bad dreams, all right? I want 
woke up last night. Look, look at this. Nothing has done that to you. You've done it to yourself. Why do you have to deny everything like that? Because I, I do not value your judgment. We need to be working together, man. which I did not realize was a Netflix movie. I didn't hear anything about this movie until we started doing this podcast. And I started kind of deep diving more into things that we could watch and things that I thought I would find interesting. So I think it was just a legitimately independently made movie that hit the festival circuit. And I think uh, Netflix picked it up. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't entirely sure if it was a Netflix original or just Netflix decided to I'm, get exclusive I'm pretty rights. sure they just picked it up. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. Andy Serkis produced it. I remember hearing about it when it was kind of hitting the festival circuit. So I think it was definitely something that they just picked up. Yeah. So it's directed by David Bruckner who did The Signal in 2007, Southbound in 2015, and like you said, Andy Serkis produced, which I didn't realize that until I'm looking at your notes. It is based on a 2011 novel, also called The Ritual by an author by the name of Adam Neville. I kind of want to go and read that book now. We'll circle back around to that because I I dug into the book a little bit and read up on it, so there are definitely some major differences that I'll talk about once we're finished discussing the movie. Cool. So, um, I'm going to go into the cast now in Mansfield. Correct me because my pronunciation is always terrible. But we have Rafe Spall playing Luke, Archer Ali playing Phil, Robert James Collier as Hutch, Sam Troden as Dom. It's a British supernatural horror movie and kind of like Kill List, I put on the subtitles, but this time not because of British slang or anything. It was more just that it was for dudes who had basic ass names like Luke and sometimes it was a little hard for me to figure out who was who. So subtitles actually did help me a little bit with that. But by the end of the movie, I could identify who was who. Um, So it wasn't too bad of a problem. Um, And the dialogue... There were maybe moments of it where it was a little bit low and I had to turn the volume up and again, subtitles helped there. But otherwise, I had a pretty easy time tracking that. The dialogue's a little bit difficult to keep track of just because they are either yelling at the top of their lungs and screaming or they're whispering very gently a lot of the time. So you can sometimes miss little details here and there. Yeah. And the guy who plays Luke, I didn't realize this, you had written in the notes, was uh, the son of another actor named Timothy Spall, who was in Harry Potter and Sweeney Todd. Which role did he have in Harry Potter? He's, oh my God, Heather's going to fucking murder me for not like knowing this character. <laughs> but um, he's the guy who was the rat. Okay. Peter okay. Pettigrew. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Peter yeah, yeah. Pettigrew. He was, what's his name's Voldemort's, like, second-hand man for a little bit until he just kind of disappears from the movies. Yeah. But yeah, Ed, Timothy Spall. And Rafe Spall, as I was kind of skimming through his IMDb, he had small roles in all three of the uh, Cornetto trilogy movies, so that's fun. I don't, I'd have to go back and like specifically look for him because I really honestly don't remember him in any of those movies. It does trip me up that he was also in Prometheus in the most recent Jurassic Park. Yeah. The haunted house movie with dinosaurs. Yeah. And I seem to remember him. I'm pretty certain he was the guy in Prometheus who was the biology expert. And the gotcha. whole time that they were in the temple, he was just like, oh, this is so scary. We need to get out of here, man. We shouldn't be here. Oh no, <laughs> we need to get back to the ship, man. And then as soon as like everything goes to hell, 
and he's stuck in the temple thing. The like first slug monster snake worm thing shows up and he's just like, oh, it's so cute. I want to touch it. And it's like, oh, God damn it. Just <laughs> Prometheus, a.k.a. bad decisions made by all the movie. All these guys, because there's really four main roles in this movie, and all these actors, I mean, they've been in stuff, but nothing super well-known except for, I mean, Rafe Spall is probably the one who's- He's, he's the, most the most well-known one, yeah. yeah. The, other, the other three have been in a lot of TV stuff. Robert James Collier's a major character in Downton Abbey, and Sam Troughton was in the original like Alien vs. Predator movie, but for the most part, they're all known from TV. Yeah. As we kind of discuss the plot a little bit, you'll start to kind of get a hang on who the characters are just from their personalities a little bit and kind of where they fit into the story but as as we are describing this movie it is going to be a little bit confusing because like you said their names are all very similar and it's just four dudes um this movie honestly does a great job of making me feel like if like you me and like two or three other guys in our friends group from college just were like placed in the situation like what it would be like and what would happen so i didn't appreciate that but i'd imagine be the same thing like if any Anyone who didn't really know us too well was trying to like keep up with all our names of like who's Derek, who's Aaron, who's Jonathan, who's yeah. this. They'd just be like, oh yeah, Aaron's the fat one, right? <laughs> Derek's the depressed one. Yeah. So we'll uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, and it's not just like they're cl- walking cliches, like not one's like not the jock, one's not like the nerd. They're all very believable, like in their mid 30s adults, but they have enough of a, their own personalities that you can start like telling what kind of people each of them are. And they're all complex, like. There were moments where I disliked all of them, and there were moments where I did like all of them. This movie does a good job of just showing them what they are human, with flaws and all. Before we dig into the plot and and go into more spoiler territory, I do want to say up top, I did find this movie actually arguably might be the creepiest movie we've done except for maybe Jane Doe to me. Yeah, this might be number two right now huh. um, as far as the one that got me the most. I mean, it, it does have jump scares, but the jump scares are more like quick cuts and loud noises. I mean, there is some scary imagery in the movie. None of it was unbearable to get through, but the general vibe of the movie and the setup and just the supernatural lore behind what happens, I found generally creepy and interesting. Jane Doe, I came out of Jane Doe being like, fuck you, Mansfield. That was terrifying. I came out of this <laughs> one being like man that was a damn good movie fucking creepy but great i felt less dread i guess coming out of it or like less losing i didn't lose any sleep over this one like it did jane doe i will say i think i even found it creeper than like it follows or any of the other ones that were more uh supernatural that we've done so far so just keep that in mind I was surprised with how good it was. I will get into later on. I did think there was a little bit of wasted opportunities, but we'll need to dig into the plot to really bring that up. So I'll save that for later. So just up top, I highly recommend it. I think if you're a horror veteran, you're going to have no problems getting through this. I think if you haven't seen it and you're a horror veteran, it's definitely worth a watch. It's better than most things I've seen. And if you're a horror amateur, this is a great one to get through. Um, I think it's creepy enough to feel like you accomplished something getting through it, but also it's not unbearable. So that's my two cents. What about you, Mansfield? Basically all the same. I really, really like a lot of the imagery in the movie. Early spoiler alert, this is a creature feature ultimately and the creature design in this is remarkable it's a really really interesting and original look but 
overall, like you mentioned, the four guys in the movie are all very kind of three-dimensional and relatable characters. So it is a good starter horror movie because it gives you enough really good, intense, creepy moments, but at the same time, you feel fine coming out of it. You know, it's it's very relatable. It doesn't really deal with a lot of heavy and intense kind of topics that are going to stick with you and maybe kind of fuck your mind up a little bit afterward. But yeah, it's 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 fun. I It's I, not perfect. I do also have some reservations about it ultimately, but it's a very slick looking movie well acted it's gorgeous i'd have to look it up to see but i believe it was all actually shot in sweden so it it looks very very gorgeous and um there's definitely something that is there's something just kind of inherently creepy about the woods so this movie does a good job of capturing that i'm glad you brought up the look of it too because you can tell it's low budget but in a good way like it's not shitty low budget it's it's low budget but in the hands of a filmmaker who know what who knows what they are doing you you think with it being a netflix exclusive horror movie and it was a horror movie that made the circuit on film festivals it it would be more uh, i guess like indie art horror and i guess there are elements of that but i never really felt that way this could also even pass as just like a horror movie that had a low budget if it got major film release i wouldn't have been that surprised yeah it's well produced and high quality so we are gonna go diving into the scene by scene in the story so if spoilers are something you want to avoid then shut us off right here go watch movie and come back um so here we go We are introduced to five friends from university. They're at a pub. The five friends are Phil, Dom, Hutch, Luke, and Rob. And the scene starts off with the meeting, having drinks, and they are discussing taking like a bro vacation, like just to get away for a little while. Um, You can infer from their dialogue that most of them are married. Some of them have kids. Um, They're working, you know, middle class, white collar jobs. They just need a break. So and, and this might even be like a yearly thing or every five years they meet up and do this. And I did find it funny because they were very matter of a fact of like where they want to go and they are suggesting shit from like Amsterdam to Las Vegas to backpacking through Sweden just or going to Belgium I was like man it must be nice to be able to travel all these places are totally open for all of you but I have also found that and this might be more of a European thing that or foreigners in general are just a lot more open to traveling to places that are pretty far away in other countries than even most Americans that I've met I think part of that is because they actually get fucking vacation time. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a very good point. This is kind of going off topic for one second. I, uh, one of the podcasts to listen to is Worst Idea of All Time, and it's two New Zealanders uh, who do that podcast, and they talk about like taking vacations like to Germany and India and all this shit all the time. So I do find that fascinating because on the opposite side of the thing, like if you have like say an American podcast like Last Podcast that does a lot of traveling, it's usually for their show. So <laughs> you're. I think you make a good point of just they get a lot more vacation time than we do. So, yeah, they're shooting down ideas. And one of their friends, Rob, suggests that they go hiking hiking in Sweden. And the others are not really too on board with that. One guy, Dom, is kind of like, no, that's work. Like, that's physical activity. I want to, like, go get blasted in Amsterdam or Vegas. And he's like, no, no, we should go hike the King's Trail in Sweden. It'll be nice. 
it, it'll be scenic. We can get away for a while, all this. So they're all shooting it down. So after the night's winding down afterwards, uh, Luke and Rob are walking together and Luke's even kind of giving Rob a little bit of shit of being like, you really want to do this hiking thing, huh? He's like, yeah, I, I just, I think it'll be a nice change of pace. And they're entering a shop to get some booze and they're about to get some vodka and they interrupt a robbery in progress. And the way this is shot is really interesting because this is like two or three minutes into the movie, something I didn't really quite see fucking coming at all. They just start walking in, they're talking, they're having like a regular ass conversation and the camera focuses on them. So you don't really see too much of what's going on in the background. Then suddenly one of them like looks horrified and like points behind the other one. They turn around and then you see what they're seeing with the camera. And it's like this woman cowering behind the counter and she's like has a black eye and she looks beat up. That's when like these two junkies just barge in and what is one of them holding is that i couldn't quite see if that was a machete or just like a blunt object that they were using to it's just a pipe yeah like a pipe so luke actually is able to get out of view he like ducks around to the other aisle behind where they can't see him yeah and luke sees like luke is aware that he's hiding and Rob does. Yeah, Rob. Yeah, I'm sorry. See, Rob does. We're, it. We're, yeah, we're, yeah, already, we're already fucking. It. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Luca. Uh, Luke is in hiding. Rob realizes he's there, and and Rob's kind of frozen in fear, but also is sort of just telling Luke like, "Stay put." And these two thieves, who again, I thought they were junkies, but especially the one holding the pipe was a lot more tweaked out. These thieves start harassing Rob, and they're they're first they demand his wallet and his watch, and he's complying with all this. He's like, "Okay, mate, no need for this to get violent. Here, here's all this stuff." Then. They they demand from Rob his wedding ring and Rob is like nah man this this is my wedding ring I, I can't give this up and they start getting more and more belligerent one junkie is like well you know we got his wallet we got his watch let's go but then the other one is insisting like no let's take his fucking ring too and while this is going on Luke is still hidden he kind of holds a bottle like a bludgeoning object like he's getting ready to attack these guys he's kind of like sort of psyching himself up to to intervene but he's also kind of hesitating like any normal person would do in this situation and he's kind of too slow to act and the more tweaked out junkie who's demanding the ring just loses his patience is like fuck this and starts bludgeoning Rob to death and it is kind of a shocking scene like they just straight up beat Rob to death in front of Luke and then take his ring and run off. It's like night and day contrast with the opening scene where it's just these guys hanging out in a, in a pub, having a good time, and it's something very relatable to this next scene, which is something that is realistic and could happen, but it's just something you would never expect to happen. And I guess that's how these tragedies work. Yeah, so Rob is bludgeoned to death. Yeah, and I mean, that's part of what this whole movie is kind of doing, which is just, you know, yes, this is a normal situation that all of a sudden goes to hell for one reason or another and then you just kind of have to deal with it so it's specifically about these characters and how they react to these situations and in this case luke completely froze up didn't do shit and now his friend's dead it, it definitely lo- relates to real world fears in that sense because you could be having just a perfectly normal time and shit can go wrong you could get in a car accident all of a sudden or somebody can step into your movie theater and shoot the place up you know i mean like bad shit happens all the time that you don't plan for and it's just all about like how do you react in this in the moment and then how do you react afterward and it's terrifying to think about but that's that's life unfortunately yeah and 
not that the scene was triggering per se for me this however was a fear that that i can relate to and the scene really capitalized and, and right off the bat made me feel uncomfortable in a way that horror movies are supposed to but the fear of freezing and especially when someone you loved is involved or you know a friend or whoever yeah but i've never thankfully been in a situation this severe where i froze up but i've definitely been in situations where something is happening maybe like my, my friend is getting in a fist fight or something and i freeze up uh before jumping in and it take too long or something but even as like my time as a nurse like there's always that split second between like a coding situation happening and if it say it goes bad i think in the back of my mind the whole time like what if i didn't freeze up for those couple seconds and i jumped on it a lot quicker could have anything differently happened which probably no but you know and probably in this situation say luke did try to intervene maybe it would have gotten even worse and both of them got killed or multiple people got killed but you never know and it's human it's there i know plenty of people i myself would probably freeze up in this situation so it's a fear that you hate seeing but it's one i think it's one that you hate seeing because it's just so damn relatable I think there was a quote from, and I know I'm going way off the rails with this, but I think there was a quote from someone who was involved in the um, the tower shooter in the University of Texas. They said that there were two people that day. There were heroes and cowards, and I was a coward, and I ran. But that's like, you ran because that's a human thing to do. Like, that's a normal response. Like, get the fuck out of that dangerous situation. And I, meant, I did write this comment down to be a little more lighthearted. I was like, man, if this was happening in America, that dude wouldn't have a fucking pipe he'd have a gun so yep yeah so then the movie cuts to a tent in northern sweden and you see a little caption saying six months later and it's luke waking up in his tent and getting out and like having a smoke taking a piss and doing all like his like morning ritual and the rest of the four friends slowly start getting out of their tents as well and they are hiking along the the king's trail how do you pronounce that mansfield kungsladen kungsladen and Serik national park from these scenes, you start kind of picking up on, like, everyone's mannerisms. Hutch is more of, like, the confident friend who maybe sometimes took the lead in certain situations. Dom is married, has kids. He's he's the one who was always suggesting, like, why don't we go to fucking Vegas? Why don't we go to Amsterdam? You can tell he's kind of, like, slightly out of shape. He's pretty whiny about stuff but again like this is i don't want to dog on him too much because some of the stuff he does complain about he has legitimate reasons to and again he reminds me of people i'm even friends with he has good and bad qualities but yeah he's more like the slightly out of shape whiny doesn't want to be on the hike but is doing it anyway because he knows he should honor his friend phil is the one that i i think is the most forgettable for me mainly because he's just more the quiet one he's always more off screen and just kind of like come on guys let's you know why are we doing this and then luke is now which the movie does focus mostly on luke that's not really a spoiler because i mean right up front luke is kind of the focus of of the movie but seeing what happened to rob really fucked him up he's now kind of jittery maybe nervous he can take command of a situation but he doesn't want to uh, a lot of times and he's pretty paranoid guy and so yeah they start hiking along and they basically climb up a large hill on this trail build a makeshift shrine and i do like the shrine it was pretty genuine like stacking of rocks and like they put a picture of of rob on it they take like an empty or they empty out some some booze and they like pour it on the grave and it's kind of funny because one of them like looks at the other like are we gonna really pour out all this booze and they're like yeah we fucking have to this is for rob but uh they start passing around a flask and they're like 
like taking a shot and so the impression that i got there you know they pass the flask around and then they go to do the like okay pour one out and the look that they kind of gave each other to me was like yes we are pouring this entire flask away specifically because luke was the one that was just like insisting on like oh yeah i need more alcohol i need more alcohol and that's why he went to the liquor store in the first place you know so i kind of took it as a like we're gonna take alcohol out of this situation altogether before something happens on this trip as well you took it a lot better than i did because i took it as these are four alcoholics that don't want to waste all the booze but yeah no i i I think you're absolutely right i think i read it the completely wrong way i don't think you read it the wrong way that's one thing that i do like about this movie is that there are little very very small subtle touches like that that you can take one way or the other so it's just kind of all about how you're choosing to interpret this movie but i don't i don't think there's like a right or wrong way to read this specifically after they pour one out they get to the top of the hill and when they're up there hutch and luke spot something in the distance and it looks like it's the glow of the lodge that they're they're planning on making their way to so like okay we're on time we're making progress so they continue along the track The next day, as they're walking, Dom loses his footing and injures his knee. And he's basically saying he knows exactly what it is. It's like he's had meniscus problems or something. And he's like, it's fucking meniscus. And they're like, it's not that bad. You can still walk on. He's like, I fucking am having problems. Like, no, I know what this is. And again, this is more of Dom coming out as as the whiny one. There's even a moment, like, after it happens, like, I think Hutch or Luke or someone, like, kind of, like, throws their hands up in the air of, like, of course this would fucking happen to Dom. And so while they're, like dealing with this hutch is kind of looking over the map and dom is complaining that he there's no way he can make the rest of the hike all the way to the lodge it's too far so hutch is looking over the map and decides that they should go through an alternative route through the forest kind of off of the trail and it'll knock off half their time which horror trope to the max let's just go through this forest we don't really know because why not fuck it I found a shortcut. Nothing could go wrong. Yeah. I did find myself sometimes agreeing with Dom, though, like when he would say shit, like granted, he would say it in a whiny way, which I don't I don't like, but he would say stuff like, I don't want to fucking be here. We should have been in Amsterdam, like shit like that. I'm like, yeah, I would way rather be in Amsterdam than fucking hiking any day of the week. So as uh, as they're entering the forest, of course, uh, they start just encountering weird things, not stuff that's out of the ordinary yet, just stuff that like you always see in these kind of environments that you always make you wonder like what the fuck happened for instance they find a abandoned van it's old as fuck it looks like it's from the 60s um it's overgrown plants growing in and out of it and yeah they even stop for a second and be like how the fuck did something like that get all the way here and one of them is like just dismisses like oh you know just people like park their shit and just leave it and that's the way it is and so they can kind of continue on some more meanwhile they're getting caught in the rain and uh, there were even moments where i felt like this was turning into america and werewolf all over again the very first like backpacking scenes yeah (laughs) especially when the rain started and so they come across this rusted overgrown van it's even almost like a little bit of an omen it's then we start going more and more into the the forest and this is where things start getting creepier um the camera shot starts kind of showing like from their perspective as they're walking through and it's just like dead branches and it's like a maze of just small twigs and trees and everywhere you really get that feeling of like a feeling lost in something that you just you don't know in a type of land that you're not used to um i kind of made this as a first minor jump scare 
as they're walking around, they're talking about meals they would like to be having, which is hilarious to me. Like, I would kill for a hamburger or a steak. And then all of a sudden, there's a gutted, mangled deer or elk hanging in a tree. And this is like the first minor jump scare because there's a sharp sound effect. It goes, it zooms up to it. But the way this thing is like put up in the tree. It looks a lot more ominous than what it actually is. Like it looks like some kind of spectral demon creature with like wings spread like in the trees. It, It almost reminds me of like something mothman-y in a way yeah it also reminded me of the scene in uh silence of the lambs like after he escapes and he like makes yeah. it like with the dead body of the guard it looks like something like that like yeah this was done on purpose there's no damn way and they're like sitting there and they start freaking out understandably and they're like was this a fucking bear and it's like can a bear fucking do that like yeah they're getting like, like many arguments 15 20 feet up in the air i mean i can't say for sure if uh, unless i'm actually in this situation i would turn the fuck around Nope. Yeah. Fuck this. Like, yeah. fuck this. I am out. Like I mentioned earlier, there is already a very kind of definite sense of foreboding around the forest in general. Like, this is kind of one of those forests where it's dark. Like, immediately, as soon as you kind of walk in, it seems to swallow and block out all the light coming in. And there's not a lot of underbrush, necessarily. There is a little bit, but there's mostly just a lot of, like, matted down pine needles on the ground. And all of the branches, until the very, very, very tip-top branches of these trees are stripped for the most part. So it's just a lot of broken-off branches without a lot of greenery on them. So this forest just has a very kind of empty tomb-like feel to it. Um, It's very, very quiet, which they do comment on that, like, they just don't hear a ton of animals. But there's lots of these really, really interesting shots where you just have, like, a really deep focus going through all these trees where you think you might see something moving, but you're not sure if you saw something moving or if you're looking at something that's not actually a tree that's just kind of blending in, but you're not sure if that's what it is. But yeah, like the the deep woods in this movie are very dark and unnaturally kind of quiet and ominous. And there's so many moments when there's like a shot looking down this endless row of trees into the forest where like you're waiting for something to jump out. Like, yeah, you just feel like they're being stalked the entire time. Something that this movie made me remember was I um, when I still lived at my parents house, I was like a teenager. And granted, we live in New Orleans. We lived lived more in the suburbia, but we still lived in New Orleans. But because we lived in the suburbia, not like five, ten minutes away were the levees and around the levees was more foresty, swampy areas. And I remember one time me and one of my buddies, just because we were bored one day, decided let's go uh, take a BB gun and go into one of those areas just right off the road that's foresty by the levee and see if we can shoot some squirrels or something. It's like, yeah, no problem. And we're just doing this to fuck around and kill some time like on a random Saturday afternoon. It was Saturday afternoon in the summertime, bright out, no storms, anything. The forest that we walked into was nowhere near as thick as this in this movie. There was a road right by, and we did that thing where, like, you walk straight. We're we're just going to walk straight. Then we're going to literally turn around and walk the back the way we came. And that's what we did. And we got lost in this forest for about two hours to the point where we were getting ready to start making calls to people uh, to, like, send out people to look for us because was, the sun was starting to go, go down. And it was starting to get darker way quicker than we expected. Thankfully, we just heard a car go by somewhere and we 
we just followed the noise and we came out of the forest down the road probably a good mile or so from where he parked his car and it's just like yeah that's what fucking happens when you go into off the trail into a forest so i have the complete opposite story (laughs) where we were visiting my family up in ohio and this is ohio so it is flat as fuck and there's just farmland as far as the eye can see and the parcels of farmland are broken up occasionally by like little thin 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 strips of trees um that kind of delineate the different sections of land and there was a little thin strip of trees that was separating my great-grandparents' house from the field next to it, right? And we would go play down in there because there was a little creek that kind of ran right through the center of it that was probably like a purposeful irrigation channel that was dug forever ago, but it just kind of, the woods kind of grew up around it all said and done, but we would just go play through there. And I mean, this was, this was woods that you could stand on the edge of the woods and literally look through to the other fucking side like you know there was nothing to it we're out there playing we come back in for the evening and my great-grandfather rest his soul like was running out putting his coat on yelling at us like you kids are out there in the woods there there are bears in those woods and y'all <laughs> y'all shouldn't do that and we're like what like you could literally see the house so yeah we were in like the least amount of woods possible yet people thought we were just in like complete danger to be fair like because i have a little stretch of like not even woods it's like because i can see the fucking road from the my backyard too but there's like some wooded area separating my backyard and the road right now and i see deer come out of that batch of woods all the time i've seen straight up either a wolf or a coyote at night come out of there so i mean eh, it just depends i guess yeah still they trek on after seeing this and they just kind of dismiss it as like bears or some shit so they're like all right let's continue on as night approaches the storm that they've been seeing kind of creep up on them hits and torrential rainstorm hits them it's a downpour as they're talking about like settling down for the night maybe trying to stay out in this pitching tents they find a strange symbol in one of the trees like carved into one of the trees and it's not like a Blair Witch like strange symbol like it looks like a rune like a nordic rune of some kind yeah as they're kind of walking and investigating a little more of the area they just kind of happen across an abandoned cabin which they decide to sleep in which yet again like another like let's just continue this train of bad ideas and as they're entering the cabin like they they literally like kind of break in like they they have to like kind of unjam the door and while they're doing this like luke is kind of just staring out into the uh the forest and he hears kind of this weird noise like this roar he can't quite make out if it's if it's a bear if it's another animal he starts seeing like branches crack and he hears them and then he just sees this thing move suddenly and it the the shot is so well done because even you can't quite see what it is and it's one of those things where like is it your eyes playing tricks on you like when you're staring out into a forest or was that literally something that that just moved in there and then one of his friends like shows up behind him goes like luke what the fuck are you doing and like it's a false jump scare there 
Luke enters the cabin and we start seeing the cabin from the inside and it's what you expected it to be. It's creepy, but it's abandoned. There's actually even like a flintlock rifle hanging on the wall. And when they're in the cabin, like almost immediately, they find necklaces and charms hanging. And it's the same symbol that they were seeing on the tree, but uh, as well as other symbols. And all these symbols, again, look runic in nature. If that wasn't just creepy enough for them, as they're kind of making their way through the uh, house, they're kind of like fucking with each other being like, yeah, this is where we get murdered, guys. And like, then they're daring each other, like, who wants to go check out the upstairs and make sure it's abandoned? And so Phil's like, fuck you guys, I'll go do it. He goes up there to explore and he starts shouting and for the rest of the people, like everyone to join him. So they all go up there and at the back of the second story in the back room, they come across what looks like a a life-size wooden effigy. It's humanoid, but it doesn't have a head and like the torso has antlers for hands. It's a very weird and creepy image. Yeah, think of think of like a mannequin that's just made out of twigs, right? And it has its hands kind of raised up like a referee signing, you know, goal, but no head and no hands, just like antlers where the hands should be. Just really fucked up, weird, creepy, and like it's just in this room and the top of this abandoned cabin. Yeah, and the rest of the room is like bare, and like it almost was like a makeshift, I guess, altar or the way it was positioned, like this was the worship room. This is where I would be like 1000% nope, nope, nope the fuck out. We are out. Yeah, yeah, if if I made it this far after seeing the mangled deer, you and I would be out of here. Like, we would have been like, no, we're hiking our asses. Yeah. I would hike through the night to get out of the goddamn forest. Like, fuck this. <laughs> but yeah, this was the first scene that I really started feeling like, okay, we're in a fucking horror movie now. And it just starts getting worse from, from this. So they start drying out their clothes and getting ready to lay down. And they're joking about all the weird shit that they've seen and... Luke recommends that let's just go out uh, the way we we came and follow the path, what I would be suggesting. And Hutch is like, nah, fuck that. We've committed to the woods. Our food is limited. We should just continue on. It, it'll cut half the time out. We'll be fine. And we've just seen some creepy shit. Maybe it was some like local hedge witches or something in the forest that did all this. And they're just people. It's not a big deal. So this is arguably one of the scariest parts of the movie. During the night, Luke wakes up and he starts seeing bright fluorescent lights like out of the cabin. The scene sort of like transitions from like the forest back to the liquor store where Rob is murdered. And as he's seeing this happen again, he's kind of yanked out of the dream and he's outside in the woods and the brushes in front of him are just like swaying and it sounds like something just ran off, like something attacked him psychically and then ran away. And as he's coming to and he's like coming to outside he looks down and he has these bloody puncture marks on his chest and while he's like trying to figure out what the fuck just happened he starts hearing scream from inside the cabin so he rushes in and all four of them were plagued by nightmares as he runs in hutch and dom are midnight where hutch has pissed himself literally dom is screaming for his wife gail the entire time and after he kind of like wakes them up out of it they fucking he fucking goes upstairs finds phil in the attic naked kneeling in front of the effigy and praying or just doing whatever this whole bit was just so fucking scary to me of just like what if like we went on a cat like went to a cabin for a trip and i and everybody had everybody fucked up experience (laughs) Yeah. yeah 
Like, I wake up, piss myself, I find you naked and praying in front of this, like, antler demon effigy thing. Yeah. And as they they leave the cabin, they find that the symbol, the runic symbol that they've kind of seen is now carved in all the trees around them. Seemingly, like, out of nowhere, too. Yeah, out of nowhere. Dom is like, you know what? Fuck this. There's a clear path that we couldn't see at night. There's a clear path, like, from this cabin leading somewhere else, like, not deeper into the woods that they were going and not back the way they came, but a different clear path. But he's like, it's a path nonetheless. Let's just take this easier path and go. I'm over this shit. We're going. My knee is fucking killing me. This was weird shit. Phil and Dom are pretty worried, understandably, and but Hutch just continues to brush it off. And even at one point, Luke is like, goes up to Hutch. He's like, dude, like I saw something. You can't say that that wasn't weird that all four of us had a bad dream. And Hutch is like, look, I don't want to talk about it. I pissed myself, which is not something I ever want to relive. It was just a scary cabin and we all just had scary dreams. Let's continue on. Yeah. And this is, this is kind of an interesting thing that the movie does because typically in a lot of Cabin in the Woods movies or like Haunted Woods movies, you typically only have one person kind of initially have like a freak out and nobody in the party believes that one person. But this is like everybody all at once right away and it's just kind of like, fuck, 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 what do we do? This immediately went to 11 and we're not sure how to handle it. Yeah, and again, just this whole scene in the cabin was like some of the best horror shit I've seen in quite a while. Freaked me out, but it was it was fun to watch. And it, now this movie like has my attention. Um, not that it didn't before, but like really now I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> just like they are. So as they're walking along the path, they find that there's like these stumps on the ground. Like they're almost like man-made sawed off stumps. And even one of them like makes so makes mention that these are like kind of guide markers for a path and they even like treat it as like good news like oh yeah this is clearly a man-made path we'll be fine we're, we're heading towards something else but then they come across on this path a second cabin and they all kind of look at it for a second and, and they're thinking and then they're like you know what fuck it we're not even going to investigate it and they continue on and the movie doesn't make a point either around whether like that's a different cabin or did they just like make a giant loop back around to the original cabin they come across this other cabin and they're just like fuck it like just just keep going keep going like don't even bother investigating just, yeah just keep going so as they're continuing along dom is like my fucking knee's killing me he needs rest and Luke is like, okay, I'm going to climb the ridge running parallel to this path to get a better idea of our location. We've been deep in these woods. We need to get to the high ground to see what's ahead of us. He runs up there and as he gets up there, it's lighter. Uh, the tree line has kind of dimmed down and so the light of the sun is coming through. While he's doing this, another kind of jumpy moment happens where he starts hearing these weird noises and he sees a large figure that remains hidden to the audience, but like you can kind of tell that something's there. And then like, it just kind of, he just was like, what the fuck was that? So when he gets back to the group, he tells them like what he saw and everything. And Dom's like, who's just, getting more and more like pissed off at the situation starts like doubting him and basically they start kind of getting an argument the group is starting to like all fight with each other and then in this argument this is where dom finally says like you know what fuck this i'm gonna say what everyone's too afraid to say we blame you for luke's death you were cowardly you hid how how was it that both of you went in and only one of you went out and you didn't even have fucking blood on you the, you could have at least fought or helped or whatever and luke just punches dom in the face 
voice, understandably. Yeah. They're like, fuck you, fuck you. And they, they start continuing along. Hutch is barely pulling this, like, pulling them back together. Hutch is like, calm the fuck down. And this is, this is kind of where, like... I mentioned earlier the reason why they poured out the alcohol. This is clearly like something that all of them have been talking about and discussing since Rob's death, essentially. Luke's whole role in the thing, you know, we don't know what he told them. We don't know, like, did Luke lie and say that he, like, tried to help and couldn't? Or did he, like, just tell them openly, like, oh, yeah, I was literally too fucking scared and I just hid the entire time? You know, we don't know how that played out necessarily, but it's clear something that the rest of them have been talking about behind his back because they all seem to be in agreement when Dom mentions it and brings it up. But at the same time, they're all just like, you know, now is not the time to have this conversation. You're just making things worse. Yeah. So as they're walking further down the trail, they see a, a bit of red fabric poking through some moss and as they pull it out they realize that it's a part of a tent that's been buried under the forest and there's like other shit in there and as they're digging through all this stuff they find some boots and they find a wallet and there's a family photo hutch or someone pulls out the credit card from the wallet and looks at it and is like this shit expired in 1984 these people either left their shit because they wanted to get the fuck out of this forest and left it to the point where like they didn't even want to bring their credit card with along with them there was no time to grab that or they did or they did or the yeah they like they were in this forest and then they weren't now yeah something else happened so yeah like more and more omens more and more like let's just continue on this path we're on later that night luke kind of hears a rustling of a large creature kind of moving around their tents he unzips his tent and he's in another nightmare and this nightmare is a lot creepier than the one earlier. And the one earlier was pretty creepy. The liquor store scene is now kind of fused rather with the woods itself. So you like see, and I like the way that the, however the set did this or if it was green screen, because one half of the, like the woods you're looking at is, is the liquor store, the fluorescent light. And then the other, like on the other side of it is just all woods. Yeah. And as he's looking at this, he sees the robber once again, bludgeon robbed to death. And this time the robber makes eye contact with Luke and he says he calls him a coward but when he calls him a coward it's not human it's a very demonic sounding like guttural weird like possessed way to say coward and his eyes are kind of glowing as he stares over yeah. Luke from his hiding spot as well yeah real fucking creepy scene and when you see that you're not even given time to react to that because then Luke sees one of the other tents just get yanked into the air and he, he jumps out of the dream and when he jumps out of the dream he's hearing screams hutch's tent is just like torn open and blood's inside and there's nothing in it and phil is on the ground screaming and then the three of them as they're like being like what the fuck's happening they hear hutch scream and an unnatural roar come from deeper in the woods so they they're like well we we need to go save our friend we gotta find like what the hell happened and so they just rush into the woods to follow the sound. They run for some time, and by the time dawn approaches, they realize that they become lost, and now they try to circle back. They can't find their campsite. This plays back into that memory that I had where me and my buddy walk into the forest, think we can just turn around and walk directly back, and then we get turned around. So they're like, well, you know, we need to find Hutch, so we're just going to continue on searching for him without the tents and the supplies. As they're walking around, the three of them come upon Hutch, he is eviscerated and he's now up in the tree branches. Um, he look, looks a lot like the way the deer did that they came across 
earlier in the movie. They're like, well, we got to bury him. What are we going to fucking do? What are we going to tell his wife? I think Dom is actually the one's like, we, we can't just leave him here like this. We got to bury him. So they pull him down. They take his compass and his knife and... They don't really bury him into the ground. They they just kind of like lay his body down and cover it with just brush and sticks and everything. Yeah. And it's kind of creepy because the last shot you see after they do it is like his boots are still sticking out of the brush. If anyone else comes across this, they're going to be like, what the fuck happened here? Yeah, really? But yeah, I mean, but that's the best they can do. And they're, they're in a panic now at this point. And like while they're walking along, like Phil is just basically gone at this point. Dom is pissed off and grieving. But and he, he's like talking to Luke being like these fucking witch cult forest assholes who live out here did this to him. Like he's even kind of suggesting like we need to find these people and kill the fuck out of them. And it's kind of anger and grief taking over him. And Luke is just kind of like trying to keep it together and be the now impromptu leader. And so they're kind of struggling as they're making their way up the ridge. Dom's knee is just progressively getting worse. Luke climbs all the way to the top and he sees that they are relatively close to the edge of the forest. And while he's up there, he also spots uh, the glow of campfires uh, between them and the edge of the woods. You don't really know what that is just yet, but it's the signs of something. As he descends down the hill to tell the others what he saw, because now it's basically nighttime, he now sees Phil is waving a flashlight into the trees, saying that him and Dom heard a noise. And suddenly, like, just out of nowhere, he is drag-pulled out of the shot into the brush by some unseen force or creature drops his flashlight and you just start hearing like these unnatural noises and him screaming while he's trying to run away luke like and i did say this was kind of like a dingus move on his part luke runs just directly into a tree and like knocks himself out for a brief second and when he does that he comes to into another brief liquor store dream and this one is also pretty creepy because Robert's corpse gasps you can't run before he comes back out of this dream um, which I thought was also a really nice horror touch and when he comes to he starts like kind of wandering around and he's like uses a flashlight to shine around to see and then all of a sudden he sees Dom which in a false jump scare because like the soundtrack also kicks up a note and he sees Dom hiding like in a tree stump yeah he's kind of hiding like in a clump where there's like a tree stump and another tree kind of right up next to each other um so he's just kind of crouched down in there trying to stay quiet yeah so luke joins them down there and they're they're both kind of keeping their heads down and they're whispering to each other and they're, they're like the whole time you're hearing like you heard phil scream you're hearing like whatever this thing is moving around the forest and you're hearing these unnatural noises they're whispering to each other like what do we do like we can't stay here because that thing is going to find us eventually and they just say you know what fuck it we just have to get up and run like are, do you think your knee is good enough to do that and dom's like mate at this point it's the only thing we can do and so yeah they go like three two one and they get up and bolt whatever this creature is because you still haven't really quite seen what this thing looks like you start seeing more and more glimpses of it being like looking unnatural like just this unnatural cryptid beast and even now when this creature kind of gives them chase you still don't quite see what it looks like and as they're they're running they come up on a path and it's that same sort of path that they saw earlier that had those like stumps 
to mark the path and now each of those like stumps are like torches and they're lit you can infer that this is maybe the some of the fires that luke was seeing when he scouted up just before all everything went to shit and as they're kind of going along this path they spot phil's body and he's now up impaled in the trees pretty much like right next to the path and they don't even stop like they're like fuck this we're at and they just keep going and eventually they kind of reach this clearing and they find a large cabin and they like break inside and I like the way that the camera shot because they kind of like stumble inside, fall to the ground as like the camera is like showing like almost from Luke's point of view upside down what's happening and the camera slowly panning across his cabin and he sees like people praying at a shrine. There is some rustic chanting music playing like on a, on a old record player. And then the last thing he sees is like a leather wrapped boot or feet kick him and unconscious. So when they awaken, they find themselves chained in a basement of a hut or a cabin of some kind. And him and Dom are both chained up. Luke digs enough dirt like from where he's he's sitting like he digs dirt from between the log walls and he looks outside and he sees all these like villagers constructing something and he's like telling all this to dom who's asking him the entire time because dom is like chained up to a part of the cabin where he can't see out of anything so let's let's pause right here this is where i feel like the movie almost had a little bit of wasted opportunity for me what about you Wasted opportunity as far as what? I guess explain explain kind of your thoughts on that first. I would have been more okay if no other people were in this movie. If it was just them and the monster. And I'd be totally okay with them like coming across like this village, but maybe it was abandoned. Or like all these things would happen, but you never see who is doing it. Like lighting up these torches and all that. Like they just, like it's like almost as something is guiding them to these places on purpose. This is where the movie kind of lost me a little bit, where it almost takes like this Wicker Man-esque type of swerve. All of the stuff leading up to this was almost like a near-damn-perfect horror movie to me. And I think if they would have just kept it that way without bringing in this like cult village whole aspect of the movie, I think I would have enjoyed it more. Maybe you would have had to change the title of the movie, but what are your thoughts about that? I think, honestly, it either needs more or it needs less, one or the other. You know, I kind of agree with you that I think on one hand it would be more interesting if you did cut a lot of the stuff that we're about to get to and just focus on this kind of weird cryptid creature in the woods and all this seemingly creepy stuff going on and don't really explain any of it. But I think it fundamentally kind of changes the context of a lot of what we're about to see as well and a lot of what the point of this whole movie is, dealing with like Luke's guilt around Rob's death and his just fears of inadequacy and everything else. I think it does recontextualize that a lot. I think it it also changes the why and how of what we've been seeing so far. Um, like all of his visions, the liquor store, I think are completely decontextualized if you go that route. But that said, on the other hand, I kind of wish there was more stuff pertaining to like all this oopy doopy that we're about to get to because it's just vague enough to be kind of infuriating 
And honestly, like, I didn't quite realize the first, because I watched this movie months ago, like right when it first hit Netflix. And there are things about it that I did not pick up on the first viewing because I just had no idea that like, oh, that's the context of this? Okay, because they didn't really explain what it was. So I'll, I'll get more specific about that in a minute, kind of as we move on. But I, I kind of agree with you. Like, I think you either need to completely cut all the stuff that's about to go on and just focus on this being kind of a man versus nature creature thing, but you lose a lot of the deeper, like, like context in a way or they should have like really really punched in on all the stuff that's about to happen now just to make it more clear what's happening because knowing the context of it makes the situation so much more cosmically terrifying yeah because leading up to this it's not that it's like a psychological i mean there are elements of that but it's not like a full-blown psychological horror movie like but it's vague enough to where you it's almost like this creature is a force of the forest itself but i think i agree with you if they had to keep it this way i think the way that i might have thought about doing it is if they wanted to like explain a little bit of the creature's lore but without any of this village stuff is again maybe they stumble across this abandoned village or another abandoned cabin or something and they hide in there and while they're in there they find like a journal or some shit it's i mean it's a minor gripe of mine is just this whole all of a sudden we're now dealing with a cult village there are a lot of aspects of it that i do enjoy and i do appreciate i again i just wish it would have either leaned more into this unseen creature killing us off one by one which i think i like more or if they leaned more into like no this is like wicker man now yeah and i do think part of the danger in what I'm suggesting where I just I wish there was more the difficult part then is how do you go deeper and explain more without it just being people expositing at you and people just talking plot and backstory at the audience which is not interesting like I want more show not tell but it's a hard line to follow to make that work and make it dynamic and engaging while still giving you like more information because honestly I feel like there is a lot of show don't tell going on but because we don't really have a whole lot of any tell at all like some of it is like wait what am I looking at oh that's what that's supposed to be so yeah just keep going and like I said we'll we'll get to that eventually yeah so after he's like looking out there and he sees these villagers constructing whatever they're doing an elderly woman joined by a couple men enter the room she gives Luke some water at this point he's like almost begging for because he's obviously super dehydrated and as he's giving him water she kind of like pulls down his shirt a little and like looks at the mark on his chest and then she pulls down her dress a little bit to reveal that she has also the same markings on her chest then she starts walking over to dom like as if she's gonna give him water and looks like yeah yeah give him water he really needs it and then she kind of like glares at him a little bit and then like speaks to the two men and the two men immediately grab dom and they just like start dragging him upstairs and luke the whole entire time is like what the fuck you doing with my friend stop that blah blah, blah. and the whole time the shot remains in the basement with Luke and when he's dragged off like out of sight you just start hearing him scream and like noises of them like beating him and then you start hearing like the same unnatural growls and roars that you've been hearing whenever the creature's been around and you hear like chanting as well Uh, sometime later a younger woman who can actually speak a little bit of English enters the basement this is where you get a little bit of exposition she's basically telling him that they're being made to prepare for the sacrifice uh, specifically dom and luke is like why are y'all doing this like what is that creature and she was just like 
he's basically one of the Jotun. He's either a bastard child of Loki or an, another Norse god, and he's just been here forever in the forest, and we get to live forever. He gives us immortality, but because he gives us immortality, we have to do these sacrifices and every so often, and that's just the way it is. He's like, well, you know, I'll never go along with this. Like, you can't do this to us. He's like, you're either going to bow to this creature like we did or die you have a chance to be immortal and join our village. Or if you resist like your friend does, the creature's going to kill you anyway. Yeah, and this the thing, she refers to it as a Jotun, like Jotunheim. Oh, yeah, I, I pronounced it incorrectly. <laughs> Jotunheim, like where the Frost Trolls come from, where like Loki specifically is from. Well, okay, I'm getting my Marvel Universe mixed up with my actual Norse mythology. I think in actual Norse mythology, Loki is still also like half Frost Troll, but I can't remember. Either way, Jotunheim is, like, not a great place. So she calls this thing a Jotun. Yeah, and uh, I think they were, like, kind of like a race of giants in Norse mythology. Yeah. And they had, like, loose ties to the uh, gods. Like, some of them... I said frost trolls. I meant frost giants. Yeah. And they were kind of, like, supernatural demigod entities that... Uh, from I mean I I'm just kind of going off my ass too. Uh, my my Norse mythology is kind of fucked as well because of Marvel. But from my understanding, they're kind of like Norse mythology's version of demigods. Yeah, and monsters in general. So because I think they were also sort of worshipped like gods were. There were obviously runes and shit made out to them as well. This is the aspect I do like of these village scenes. Like even though this is kind of an exposition thing, I like the idea of the origin of this monster being a bastard child of Loki who's just stayed in the forest for all these years and is now basically a, a cryptid that goes around killing people and enslaves a group of villagers and offers them immortality but at the cost of their humanity they have to kill people and ensure there are sacrifices so um what are your thoughts about that i mean it's pretty much what you just said you know it's it's clearly some kind of creature that's been around forever and these people have been worshiping it you know how they figured this out how this creature specifically communicated all this is you know kind of a mystery so i took it as that there are people old enough in the village that have been immortal for so long that they were either able to pass it down from generation to generation or they've been around since norse times yeah that's kind of what i took from it as well which again there's there's a little bit further with that in a second yes because they're all they're all speaking in like what seems like it would be an ancient norse language as well you can see that there are multiple generations of people in this village even though they all look like scraggly because like you have this young woman who can speak english as well as this other language and then you have like the older woman who can only speak whatever language they're speaking and there's probably a bit of swedish in there and everything else Something that I thought about. So remember when they came across that tent? Yeah. In that picture, there's a little girl, a blonde-headed little girl from what I remember. Is there a chance that this younger woman who came in and like explained this to him is that girl in that picture and maybe the rest of her family was sacrificed? So that's the note that I kind of have. Yeah. I think this, you know, younger, like early 20s woman that's currently talking to Luke is potentially that little girl. And I was I was going to bring that back up again. <clears throat> when she she enters the scene that was the first thought i had was like that's the girl in the picture it's never really brought up 
in the movie. It's just one of those things that you can either agree with or not or put together if you want to. It's not necessarily something that's even important. So, yeah, so she basically is like, yeah, he's in me. Your friend Dom is going to be human sacrifice and you're either going to bow down or you're going to join him, basically. So Dom is brought back down to the basement and he explains that, like, he's been prepared for the sacrifice. And this is where, like, good parts of Dom start coming through because he's yeah. just like, look, mate, I'm dead. There's nothing you can do for me. You need to promise me you get the fuck out of here and if you can to burn this place to the ground because whatever that creature is like it, it has me I'm, I'm i'm doomed and luke is like no i'm not gonna leave you behind bro like we're gonna get out of this together and dom's like i can barely walk right now my knee is totally fucked i've been beaten to hell save yourself and so sometime later on it's starting to be nighttime and dom is once again taken back outside of the cabin and he's brought to the wooden posts that they've been constructing his hands are tied behind his back at this point, you spot several dead bodies up in the trees. All of them have been impaled in the same way that Hutch was and the same way that Phil was. At this point, he's just pissed. He's just like, what the fuck are y'all doing? Like, what are we waiting for? What's going on? Like, hurry the fuck up. Just get this over with. And he starts taunting them and taunting whatever creature is coming. And like, you hear a roar at the edge of the forest. And immediately, the villagers like fall to their knees and, and start worshiping it. You can hear it like running and it's getting closer and closer. And right as if it's about to jump out of the forest and attack Dom, it kind of stops and you just see this woman start walking out of the forest. And Dom is kind of like squinting at first and then he like is like, wait, and it's his wife, Gail, and he's just like, what are you doing here? Like, what the hell's going on? Like, she's like, what's happening to you? Like, like, let me help you. And so she runs up to Dom. He's like convinced that this is Gail, but then at the same time, he's realizing kind of what's happening. So he kind of like looks away for a second. You see Gail's face and then, and then when he turns back around, it's the face of what whatever this creature is and do you want to describe what the design of this thing because it is like you had mentioned earlier it's really well done it's fucking awesome this is the first good glimpse that we get of the Jotun so far and not just bits and pieces of it and even still we don't quite get the entire thing just yet that's that's still in yeah. a little bit what Dom sees standing in front of him where his wife was standing because his wife reaches out with her hands and like holds his face in her hands right with both of her hands and then all of a sudden when it's when he snaps too it's still two arms holding him by the sides of his face but the arms are now kind of grayish blackened rotting with long fingers and kind of gross fingernails and they are coming from like the sides of this weird creature's muzzle and where there would normally be like a muzzle or a mouth it's just kind of this dark pit that you see two glowing eyes coming out of this is the best analogy i can think of so bear with me but it's very much like you're looking into like this fucking eldritch clitoris (laughs) it's just kind of hooded and right in the very center there's like these two little glowing eyes but it looks very vaginal and that's kind of all you see is like this weird dark kind of vaginal opening with these two glowing eyes and then these two human arms coming out of the sides of it grabbing onto the sides of his face and it's all attached to like this giant animal it's it's like an elk 
body, but almost like a giraffe where like the body slopes upward and it has much taller forward shoulders than it does back ones. But it's kind of like an elk's giant big hooved feet. And the head of it is essentially like two human torsos kind of fused together. Uh, this this is where like it's so hard to describe it without actually just seeing it. Yeah. It looks like the weird wooden effigy that you saw in the cabin earlier where it's a torso with the arms kind of sticking up with horns and no head. Like that's the top of it. So it looks like it has antlers, but it's actually these two human arms holding antlers. And then the bottom half of the head is is also a torso that's kind of inverted and again where the head would normally be it's just this kind of hood with these two glowing eyes in it and the arms just kind of hang down loose and they're kind of these prehensile weird grasping little mandibles it's such an interesting creature design um it was designed by keith thompson who did a lot of the design work for Guillermo del Toro's movies like Pacific Rim and Crimson Peak and even did some stuff for The Strain. But yeah, I mean, it's just such a rad creature design and there's something about it being that it supposedly is the bastard child of Loki, according to this woman. That's interesting because Loki was a shapeshifter and this thing you get the sense that it might change its appearance depending on kind of what the victim wants to see or what it wants to project you know obviously dom sees his wife gail initially but then all of a sudden he like snaps to and it's this horrible like weird fucking like cronenberg monster mashup kind of thing you know so i mean there's definitely ties to a lot of norse mythology Another thing, too, in Norse mythology, Odin specifically, like, impales himself with his, like, legendary spear to Yggdrasil, which is the world tree. And then he, like, crucifies himself onto this tree in order to learn the deep, hidden meaning of, like, rune magic. So, you know, this weird Jotun thing is kind of doing the same thing. It's taking the people that have been offered up a sacrifice and it's impaling them onto the branches of these trees. And again, there's also like all the weird runes that we saw earlier. So there's definitely a lot of the Norse bits and pieces working their way into this story, but kind of in a, you know, more interpretive way than what you would expect necessarily. When it, it turns back and it's the monster and it like is holding his head, it almost looked like a witch, but with a hood over her as well. Yeah. And like you only see the eyes. Granted, obviously, when it like zooms out and you see the whole body of the monster, you just see that, that all of that is only the head, which is terrifying. But even though you can't really see a face, just the eyes, you can almost picture like after it grasps his head that it smiles before it picks him up. Yeah, because the eyes kind of narrow a little bit, but they narrow kind of in that upward, like, happy kind of way. Like a maniacal happy. Yeah. (laughs) The monster design to me, if you've ever played Dark Souls or Bloodborne, specifically Bloodborne, the idea of a lot of those monsters kind of are what this thing is all about. And it's that whole idea of, like, instead of the gods being, like, these holy uh, ethereal beings, instead they're these cosmic monstrosities that people just maybe think are gods and worship like gods because that's the whole thing in Bloodborne is a lot of like these cosmic godlike beings are just super monstrous looking in form and a lot of them kind of look similar to the monster in this. So here's your dose of cosmic horror coming into this movie. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so 
after that happens, understandably, Dom starts screaming as the creature picks him up, removes him from the post, and impales him on a nearby tree and just leaves him there. And while this is happening, Luke is, like, doing his best to get out of his binds to the point where he, like, dislocates his thumb or breaks his own thumb to get his hand free. And uh, and then he is able to untie his other hand. He's looking around and he grabs a torch and he's like, fuck this. He's kind of making his way out of the basement and he sees this giant stack of rifles. And as he's kind of making his way to the front door, um, he sees that the front door is blocked by people who are watching the Jotun out there. But then the old lady from earlier walks back into the front door. So he kind of really quickly dashes kind of up the little staircase that's there to the top part of the cabin just to kind of get out of her eyesight. And the whole time he's been hearing this like really creepy, loud chanting coming from kind of the upper areas of this cabin because again, he's been in the basement. And once he's kind of up there to get away from the older lady so he's not spotted, he hears all the chanting coming from behind this closed door, and he walks in. Yeah, and it's, it stops. Like, the chanting just, like, all of a sudden dies. Yeah. As soon as he opens the door, it just it completely goes quiet. And kind of like the second floor of the cabin, there's just this weird emptiness to the room. But there's all these rows of pews, like church pews, with all of these like mummified, shrunken head mixed with twigs and sticks and bits of like moss, right? It's just like all of these people, all these like human forms that are sitting on all these different benches with this one main kind of mummified human corpse at the front and center, kind of like a a pastor or some kind of preacher figure. As he's kind of observing all of them by the firelight, all of a sudden one of them just kind of yawns and starts making this like gross howling gurgling kind of noise it's so fucking creepy too yeah and you know there's a couple of other ones that start to kind of creak and their jaws open up and they kind of make this dry like raspy kind of you know zombie kind of noise again he kind of realizes and this is where i didn't realize what this was until i kind of did some reading yeah when the girl earlier kind of explained to him like oh yeah the creature makes us immortal this is essentially the result of that so this is totally one of those traditional greek god norse god every kind of old school god things where it's like a monkey paw situation you know you're gonna get granted immortal everlasting life but you're gonna be this awful fucking mummy creature for the entirety of that basically so dom is just kind of like you know what fuck this or luke is or yeah luke luke is but yeah from dom's last wish you know of just like take these fuckers out um he starts lighting up all these gross mummified people up in the top of the cabin and immediately the whole thing just kind of whoosh and goes up in flames because it's just all this dry mummy bodies and wood and everything up there and they start screaming as well yeah it's also pretty creepy and immediately like not only do they all catch on fire like the whole cabin catches on fire because the roof is made of straw or whatever twigs as he's lit all this on fire he starts going uh, like down the stairs he sees the old lady who's like reaching out towards him and like saying shit and he just punches her right out before she can really like yeah raise the alarm yeah right before she says anything he just decks her (laughs) 
Yeah, like the Wicker Man, but this time the Nick Cage remake. Yeah, yeah. He just he just dicks this old lady, grabs one of the nearby guns, and starts frantically looking around for ammo for it. Yeah, and so the wails of like all these <laughs> burning worshippers brings back the creature, and the creature comes back out of the forest, and you can just tell that this thing is now pissed. Yeah, it immediately uh, confronts the villagers, specifically the younger woman from earlier, and you can kind of hear it talking with her. It's like yeah. a very weird, non-distinct kind of guttural, animalistic sound, but like she can understand it and she's conversing with it, trying to like plead with it to not do whatever it's about do to whatever do. it's about to do. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, so she's like trying to explain it to him. And as Luke is making his way to the front door, it goes back to that and the Yotan has had enough and he just picks up the, the young woman and gouges her eyes out and then drops her dead body and then he just starts fucking killing the rest of the villagers off and there's a guy standing at the front door it just like pulls away one of the other villagers and he starts screaming so luke starts going towards the back door and he starts running away as he turns around this is the first time you get like a shot of like what this whole creature really looks like and it's just holding the young woman's body aloft the whole village is on fire everyone you can infer is just dead this thing is like wiped out the village and again the creature is standing on all four of its animal legs but the two human arms coming out of its head like mandibles are what's holding this young woman by her head and neck essentially yeah he's like you know what fuck this thing he turns around and he takes a shot at the creature shoots it gets its attention and the creature starts running after him and it's psychically starting to attack him and cripple his mind by giving him hallucinations again of the liquor store of his recurring dream the creature winds up catching up to him and instead of just straight up murdering his ass like i thought it would it starts forcing him to his knees multiple times physically forcing him to get on his knees and every time it does it it almost like stands up the way that effigy was crafted like it like stands up on its hind legs almost like it like in its full god form or whatever as it's trying to basically get luke to submit to it yeah i actually rewatched that scene a couple times because like what the fuck is that thing doing like because it get like knocks him back down to his knees and then like stands up and like lifts its like antler hands up into the air oh it's trying to like posture basically in front of luke to get him to worship it yeah it keeps pushing him down and the human arms on its face just keep like shoving his face into the dirt you know, Luke keeps getting back up to get away and getting back up and it keeps pushing him down and pushing him down. And yeah, like the third time, finally, it poses up in this God pose, trying to get him to be, you know, impressed or whatever. <laughs> Come at me, bro. Yeah. yeah. And while this is happening, uh, Luke had an axe as well that he had taken um, while he was running away in the village. When he got pushed down by the creature initially, like the axe flew out of his hand and it's on the ground near him. He's been trying to reach towards it. And then finally, he has one one last hallucination of Rob's dead body, except Rob looks at him, motions at him to like take the axe, and so yeah, he like reaches out enough, grabs the axe, and he buries it into this creature to incapacitate it, and the thing is pissed, and it starts chasing him again, and he emerges out of the forest. It's now like in a sunny field at the edge of the forest, and as he's preparing himself for the creature to come out of the forest to kill him, he realizes that the creature can't leave the forest. Like, it starts roaring at him, pacing at the edge of the forest and he starts screaming back at it 
triumphant and eventually the creature just like i can't leave the forest and so it turns around leaves he starts turning away from the monster he starts heading in the direction and as the camera kind of backs up some more you see that there's a road with a passing car a sign of civilization basically and then the movie ends that's how it ends yep that's it like you said so you know i think overall this movie deals with a lot of the same themes that like deliverance does where it's this kind of you know, masculinity being challenged by being isolated in nature and having just this kind of fear and paranoia of your fellow man and other people around you. And then just having kind of an alienation and a disconnect from, you know, not just like the actual loss of your friends, like, you know, they lost their friend Rob, but the loss of your friends that are with you and just having this disconnect. That's a natural part of growing up where over time you lose connection with friends or you just start to drift away from them because you just start to become different people and you know just that fear in general is something that lives within all of us but yeah this is definitely dealing with a lot of the like masculinity and crisis kind of themes that you see in movies like this typically Another interesting movie that I only exposed myself to last year based on an episode of the Pure Cinema podcast. I can't remember what episode it was, maybe. I think it was maybe their cult movies podcast, but it was a movie called Rituals. It's (laughs) also about a group of guys that get lost in the woods. This was one from the 70s, and it was kind of a deliverance ripoff movie where a group of, and this is all older guys. These are all guys that are like kind of near retirement retirement age right. who all go camping every year they're going camping in the canadian wilderness and weird stuff starts to happen to them as well like their shoes just all of a sudden are missing when they wake up the next day and you know one of their friends is missing right after that there is some explicitly horrific stuff that happens in it but there's not quite the like supernatural or occult payoff in that movie but this movie seems to have heavily borrowed from a lot of that or at least like the source book probably borrowed from some of that yeah because i'm reading just the brief plot description on wikipedia and they even find someone hung a deer carcass near their campsite yeah so it's like that's just like the ritual when they come across the uh, deer in the trees yeah rituals and it actually just came out on blu-ray recently and the blu-ray looks fantastic it's one of these movies that like was kind of lost for a long time but now it's been put back out remastered with a nice blu-ray so on the note of the novel that this movie is based on yeah because you had mentioned there's some differences there's some big differences yeah so the the general premise is the same but there is no rob character There is no character that, like, died and kind of set this whole thing in motion to begin with. It's just them going and camping. The villagers that they come across toward the end, and this is where things kind of get really different. It's these three teenagers all wearing, like, black metal makeup, and they're in a metal band, right? (laughs) Luke is essentially offered as sacrifice, and the old woman that we kind of see who's in the village with them, the teenagers are essentially, like, asking her to, like, summon the god creature so they can sacrifice Luke. And the old woman, like, kind of refuses to do it. Luke frees himself, kind of like he did here. He kills the three black metal teens... But 
realizes that he was essentially tricked into killing them for the old woman because, you know, they were essentially the sacrifice. He kills her as she's summoning Moder, so mother, so yeah. some kind of weird god force. The old woman, after he kills her, or maybe just earlier, like as he sees her, and all the people in the attic as well, they all have goat legs. And the actual creature itself looks more like a giant goat. So there are definitely some differences between this movie and the original novel from which it's adapted. But I think, honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm going to probably check out the novel, but I think probably all for the better yeah. in some ways. Like I think I think the movie's maybe a little more clean cut as far as what it's trying to do and the themes that it's trying to explore. And all of the, you know, character stuff with... Luke and his guilt around Rob's death and the whole movie essentially being about him dealing with that and kind of finding some self-worth and standing up for himself. The whole movie is him pushing past that guilt because it literally is affecting everything in his life and it literally leads to the death of his other friends. And the novel doesn't seem to really have any of those themes from what I was seeing, so I'm not sure. Yeah, and from what you told me, I think I like the film changes more. The one thing I do, and again, this goes back to my complaint of either they should have explored more with these villagers or should have just not had them in the movie. But if they were going to explore more about those villagers, one thing I do kind of like is I would have loved if they just capitalized more on multiple generations being in this village. Like, yeah, no, they're totally like these metalhead shitty kids who maybe like they agreed to sacrifice their friends or family when they're on like a group camping trip or something. And now they're in this village. Yeah. Or like a just different era because I, I did get the feeling that there are multiple era of people in this village but it would have been but since there's only like four or five people that you see yeah you know it's just kind of confusing because on one hand I, I read one review where the reviewer assumed that the people that you see in this village are the family from that photo that they find in that abandoned campsite earlier you know and and to me I never read it as that I read it as like oh these are just more people that this thing has promised to give eternal life to or whatever but I'm, I'm kind of with you I wish there I wish there were more villagers and there was more of a delineation of like different generations of people yeah. and yeah you could say it'd be goofy if like you saw like well one of them's wearing raggedy clothes from the 1600s and another's wearing like a metal shirt yeah I get that but what's just as goofy to me is the fact that here's a village that's obviously not that far away from a fucking road because at the end of the movie he's able to reach a road just by running a certain amount of distance yeah. from the village yeah all that hiking into the fucking woods and getting deeper and deeper and away from civilization and then at the end it, he literally just kind of runs like two city blocks and he's back out again well yeah and so then it then it almost goes to like the the problem i had with the village of just like wait this is modern times and like they're this close to civilization but they're still living like it's the 1600s but okay yeah. whatever because the more I thought about it, the plan of this village or the plan of the creature itself was, because it's like this forest is all around civilization. This is a fucking national park. You'd think after enough people over a history, and granted, I know that there are a lot of like missing uh, missing people
people reports in national parks all over the place. But you would think in a certain square mileage, if a certain amount of people kept going missing over multiple ages, somebody would look into it. You'd probably do something about that. Like, yeah. And so what's the end goal of the creature? And maybe, maybe that's the point is maybe the creature doesn't have an end goal. And it's one of those like last of the gods dying out sort of phase because of maybe the forest is receding and it can't leave a forest. So yeah, you know, that's why it's so close to civilization. But again, like I did, the more I thought about it, which thankfully the movie doesn't really bring to attention too much to make you think about that. It was just me and my dumb brain analyzing it. People would know about this. Like they would discover this village. They would find out what they're doing. Yeah. Overall, I enjoyed this movie a lot. It's fun. I think the atmosphere and the creep factor is really solid. I think visually it's really solid. Um, The performances are all good. I do wish that maybe there was a little bit better delineation between these four main guys just to kind of keep track of who's who a little bit easier yeah hutch did die like a lot quicker than i thought it would yeah so i kind of wish there was a little bit better delineation between those guys but kind of like we talked about earlier i either wish that they went even deeper into the lore side of it or they just left it out and made it a like survival creature movie altogether but that's not to say that i like dislike this movie or that this movie's bad at all um i really really enjoyed this movie a lot but there's definitely like some things that i kind of wish had been done a little bit differently or just things that I want to like get deeper into. Yeah. Yeah. These are all minor gripes for me too. Cause overall I really enjoyed this movie. This is one of the better ones I think we've done so far. If I did go full blown, like keep it a vague demonic creature force thing, the way I would have also ended it is maybe a little bit more ambiguous where like maybe Luke does get away, but now he's still in the middle of nowhere and you don't know, like he just starts walking away and you don't know if he'll ever make it back to civilization or not. Because again, it is a little goofy that there's a fucking highway, like just a mile or two away from where this forgotten God, a bastard child of Loki is killing people. Yeah. But then at the same time, you can make the argument that plays on the fears of the great unknown of like when you're driving on a highway and you see random weird shit like what we brought up all the way back in Texas Chainsaw Massacre you see like abandoned homes and trails leading god knows where right off the highway when you're road tripping so yeah and they all kind of joke about like yeah these fucking backwoods Swedish ass wannabe Vikings so they're definitely like poking fun at the like country Swedes I guess so that again there's kind of that otherization that I mentioned last week with uh, Joe Bob's like history of rednecks in America thing. These are essentially just weird old Viking rednecks in Europe. Yeah, who's to say if you you did take that path right off of uh, the highway in Mississippi that you find yourself a prisoner of a uh, redneck family that is sacrificing you to a cryptid that they worship as a god. Yeah, the Rougarou. (laughs) The Rougarou. I want a Rougarou movie that's good because I'm sure there's like a sci-fi original Rougarou movie that's god awful, but I want a real one. Yeah, there's there's bound to be one out there somewhere, but yeah, that'll be that'll be a good one to have. Just big old swamp creature. <laughs> all right. Well, and on that note, I think that's all we got for this week. Uh, once again, I'd like to thank your little brother Jesse Mansfield, aka Party Gator, for our opening and closing themes for the show. We are watch if you dare the podcast we are on podbean apple podcast stitcher and google play uh we are on twitter and facebook at watch if you dare and um anything else you want to do uh, mention mansfield no nah, that's pretty much it you know maybe get on facebook 
maybe tell us about, you know, what your favorite pagan rituals are to, like, you know, have a terrifying, awful weekend in the woods where you potentially could die. So, um... Yeah, seriously. What's what's your favorite, like, terrible way to spend a weekend camping? Yeah, seriously, I'm one of those guys that says, fuck camping and fuck hiking for fun. That shit's bullshit. <laughs> this is what happens when you do it. I love camping and hiking, but I can't say there's not that, like, weird thing in the back of my head. When Heather and I stayed at a log cabin coming back from a wedding in Canada a couple of years ago, she definitely was a little bit on edge and uneasy, and I definitely remember her saying, no, we need to open up all the closets and look in all the drawers and look through everything in here to make sure there's not, like, some Necronomicons hiding somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. But, uh, yeah. Shout out to our girl, Sally, like always. Sally! That's it. Look out for, uh, Forgotten Bastard Gods. Yotuns. Yotuns. 